morning, everyone. It's a little inappropriate, I think. It may be appropriate to call you the remnant when uh, the rest hasn't even come yet. But uh, I guess that's what we are. I am told that I have until 7.48. That's a very specific time, so uh, hopefully they don't mind if I end a few minutes early even. But um, my name is Alistair. I represent Washita Hills College and Academy. I'm very happy to be here at Weimar, which I consider a sister school on the West Coast. And also, I am representing also Audioverse, and perhaps later I'll share more with you on that. So we don't have much time. Our message this morning is entitled, Avenues of the Soul. So let's bow our heads and we'll get right into it. Father, this morning as we contemplate this topic of avenues to the soul. May it open our hearts and our minds to a better understanding of what it means to have the mind of Christ. And as we are here gathered early this morning for the manna, I pray that you would bless us and grant us that spiritual refreshment, we pray. Speak through me, in spite of me, and to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, uh, I'm a very visual person. My guess is most of us are. There's good reason for that. Using our sanctified imaginations, our mind's eye, think about this phrase, avenues of the soul. It's a word picture, isn't it? Avenues. What are avenues? They're roads that go in and out. Usually we say avenues of a city or avenues of a town or avenues of a village, right? But in this case, we're talking about avenues, ins and outs, inputs, outputs, roads into the soul. And if I could use the word mind as a synonym for soul, then I think we see a close application to the theme for this weekend, don't we? Avenues of the soul. You know, interestingly enough, there was a name. His name was John Bunyan. Anyone heard of John Bunyan? Most popular, perhaps, for his book, Pilgrim's Progress, but he's written plenty other than that. One of his other books is called The Holy War. And that book talks is also an allegory, much like Pilgrim's Progress, talking about a town whose name is man's soul. It's a city that was built by a king named Shaddai. And man's soul was built in Shaddai's image. This sound familiar? Allegory. And this city, man's soul, has certain avenues that can go in and out. Five gates that goes into and out of the city. Now, what do you suppose those five gates are called? Some of you are smiling. I know that you know what they are. Five gates. Gate number one, the eye gate. Gate number two, the ear gate. Gate three, the feel gate. 
the nose gate and the mouth gate. Five gates corresponding to the five senses of the human being. Now, the story goes that there was a diabolical enemy. His name happened to be Diabolus, representing, of course, the enemy of souls. He comes and he tries to, or he infiltrates through his nefarious means, man's soul, and he overtakes the city. But what's interesting is what happens when that city is overtaken. There are three, uh, what we call the three... Uh, wise men or the three leading dignitaries, if you will, of the town Mansoul. Who are they? Well, there is the mayor, Mayor Understanding. And it says that when Diabolus overtook the city, the allegiance of these three leading authorities turned. The eyes of Understanding, the mayor, was hidden from the light. Conscience was the recorder of the city, maybe the historian or something of that sort. He became a madman, at times sinning and at other times condemning the sin of the city. But worst of all was Lord Will Be Will, whose desire was completely changed from serving his true Lord to serving Diabolus. Now the rest of the book, uh, Holy War, is talking about the son of Shaddai, whose name was Emmanuel who comes to reclaim man's soul. Interesting parallels in this allegory between man's soul, that city, and each one of our souls. Isn't that right? Now, what does Ellen White have to say about this? In the book Adventist Home, page 401, paragraph 3, paragraph 2 and paragraph 3, Mrs. White writes, All should guard the senses lest Satan gain victory over them, for these are the avenues of the soul. So Mrs. White defines what are the avenues of the soul? The senses, the inputs. Okay. You will have to become a faithful sentinel over your eyes, your ears, and all of your senses if you would control your what? Your mind and prevent vain and corrupt thoughts from staining your soul. The power of grace alone can accomplish this desirable work. Mrs. White corroborates what John Bunyan communicated through his allegory. And that is Satan. He can infiltrate the mind through the five gates, the senses. And notice she specifically mentions two of the senses by name. Which two? Did you, did you catch them? The eyes and the ears. The eye gate and the ear gate, the two most significant gates even in the Holy War. Adventist Home also, uh, I read in page 403. She writes, Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, and hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentineled, or evils without will awaken evils within, and the soul will wander in darkness. Notice specifically Mrs. White, she is saying, guard the avenues of the soul, but she mentions 
what we see, what we read, what we hear specifically. In Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, excuse me, verse 27 through 29, Jesus gives us an admonition. He is speaking on the subject. Matthew 5, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28, Jesus says he gives a spiritual enlargement, the spirit of the law. But I say unto you that whosoever doeth what on a woman? Looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Verse 29, and if thy right eye offend thee, what should we do? Pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that, not, that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. What is Jesus saying? If I could just distill this down. Jesus is saying, guard your eyes. And in the larger sense, guard all of your senses because that is the way in which Satan can corrupt your mind. If you are tempted to be lustful, don't look at those women. Pluck out your eye. That's what he's, what's he saying. Guard the avenues of the soul. And according to what we've looked at already in Adventist home, she makes special emphasis in the areas of what we see and what we hear, what we read, what we see, what we listen to, and what we hear. Those are the emphasis. We're going to come back to that point. But what are the principles? What are some principles to govern? Principles by which we can measure what is safe to feed the inputs of our mind and what is not safe. You know, I'm very happy that God has given it to us in one verse. Just one verse. Let's look there. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. A one verse distillation where God simply gives it to us in almost a bullet item list. These are things safe to think upon. Bam, 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 bam. And he gives it to us right there. And if I can put it this way also, these are the things that Christ thinks about. That's the key. To have the mind of Christ is to think the thoughts, to feel the feelings of Christ. So what are the principles? What are the things that Jesus thinks about? Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We look at this verse and we say, oh, okay. So what? What now? What about this? You know, if I were to spend time dealing with every item on this list and to apply every item on this list to all five senses, we would be here for a long time. And that I don't think is necessary. That's why God gives principles. And that's why God gave us minds and brains. So we can apply the principles as we meet various circumstances. 
you know, we could talk about the mouth. Okay, so what goes into our mouths, obviously referring to what we eat, right? But we can also talk about what comes out of our mouths, right? They'd better be true and pure and honest and a good report and all of these things. And of course, we could very quickly think about, oh, that means we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't gossip. We shouldn't bear false witness. Yes, all of those things are true. We could talk about even the feel gate, if you will, and the nose gate. What goes in our noses? What comes out through our feel and what we touch? This could apply to sensuality, couldn't it? We could talk about those things. And we can talk about various aspects of what it means to guard our eyes and guard our ears. I'm going to leave those things to you. But what I would like to do, I would like to focus on a particular area or a particular uh, concept that I'm afraid far too often, even within our own church and in our schools, is swept right under the rug. An issue to me that is so, uh, to a large degree, we're so ignorant of. Ignorant at least of what, the, what inspiration has to say. And it has to do exactly with Philippians 4.8 and it has to do exactly with guarding the avenues of the soul. And for the remainder of the however minutes I have, I will spend, we will spend contemplating this concept. So what is this? What is it? Menist- uh, excuse me. Messages to young people. Page 272, paragraph 2. What is it that we need to apply the principles of Matthew 4 verse, or Philippians 4 verse 8 and also this idea of guarding the avenues of the soul, putting them together? What is it? Ellen White writes, The readers of fiction are indulging in evil that destroys spirituality. Eclipsing the beauty of the sacred page, it creates an unhealthy excitement, fevers the imagination, unfits the mind for usefulness, weans the soul from prayer, and disqualifies it for any spiritual exercises. That's strong. I heard someone say it up here. That's exactly what I thought when I first read this. The readers of fiction. You know, we, if I just left that out, you might think, oh, those who are committing immorality, those who are drinking, or those who are smoking, or those who are doing all sorts of other heinous evils, these are the people that are unfitting their minds for God's service and and the whole list of things, eclipsing the beauty of the sacred page, creates an unhealthy excitement, fevers imagination, weans the soul from prayer, disqualifies it from any spiritual exercise. Mrs. White says, reading fiction does that. Guarding the avenues of the soul, Minister, excuse me, we're coming to Ministry of Healing. That's why I keep saying it. But messages to young people. Same page, 272. Could a large share of the books published be consumed? A plague 
would be stayed that is doing a fearful work upon mind and heart. Love stories, frivolous and exciting tales, and even that class of books called religious novels. Books in which the author attaches to a story a moral lesson are a curse to its readers. Religious sentiments may be woven all through a storybook, but in most cases, Satan is but clothed in angels' robes. Why is he clothed in angels' robes? Because he is diabolous and he wants to take man's soul. Satan is clothed in angel robes the more effectively to deceive and allure. None are so confirmed in right principles, none so secure from temptation that they are safe in readings, reading these stories. Even religious novels, even fiction that intends to teach good morals is a curse, we're told. Now, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? Innocent stories? How could it possibly do all of these evils that, that Ellen White proposes? Philippians 4.8, what is the first principle? What is the first principle that should guide what we think about? What is the first one? Whatsoever is true. Let's look in John chapter 14. What is so significant about truth? We could spend a whole weekend discussing the importance, the nature of, and the value of truth. But I'm going to sum, sum it up for you right here in one verse. John 14 and verse 6. We all know this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the what? The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus characterizes himself, his character, as a character of truth. And that's why we need to think about truth. If we are to have the mind of Christ, the character of Jesus, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to think about truth. We need to be actuated by truth. But what is fiction? By definition, what is it? It's untruth. Let's look at another verse. John 8. John chapter 8 and verse 44. John 8, verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the what? In the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus draws in direct contradistinction his character and Satan's character. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying Satan is a liar and the father of it because there's no truth in him. And what is fiction? Is fiction truth or is fiction closer, if I could be euphemistic here, closer to the father of lies? I think the answer is clear. How can we possibly be indulging in, in reading, filling our minds with the character of Satan? That's what fiction is. Mrs. White goes on. Now we come to Ministry of Healing, page 446. If you think she's being strong so far, just wait. I'm glad she says it and not me. 
It is often urged that in order to win the youth from sensational or worthless literature, we should supply them with a better class of fiction. This is like trying to cure the drunkard by giving him, in the place of whiskey or brandy, the milder intoxicants, such as wine, beer, or cider. The use of these would continually foster the appetite for stronger stimulants, the only safety for the inebriate and the only safeguard for the temperate man is total abstinence. For the lover of fiction, the same rule holds true. Total abstinence is his only safety. There's no gray area. Mrs. White is not speaking in halfway language. She is saying fiction is wrong. Fiction is bad. And we should have, as Christians, those who seek to have the mind of Christ, we should have nothing to do with it. Period. And I know for many of us, for me, almost all of my growing up years, we either don't talk about this or else it is subjugated to other rationale. We rationalize. Oh, it's no big deal. You have to understand a little bit about this type of uh, a fiction because you have to be a well-informed member of society. And how could you possibly be well-informed? And how can you possibly be a good member in good standing in society if you don't know anything about fiction? Can you possibly be a, a wise or a respectable person without ever reading Shakespeare? I've read Shakespeare, unfortunately. And let me tell you something. It doesn't help you in life. I've traveled to many countries in the world and never once have I been benefited in the preaching of the gospel for having read Shakespeare. In fact, what does Shakespeare teach us? You read Romeo and Juliet, and what kind of love do you learn about? Is it the agape, self-sacrificing, Christ-like love? Or is it the selfish, erotic mindless love that I would die for you for no other reason except for lust. Fiction is not necessary and it is downright harmful. I've only shared with you about three passages here. I had an assignment when I was at, in college in which we had to study what spirit prophecy has to say about this subject. And I did not do an exhaustive study, okay? I did, uh, unfortunately, for those of you who are students, don't follow my example, I did the minimum of what was required. And you know what I came up with? Eight pages, single-spaced, eight, or no, 10-point font of just quote after quote after quote of what she says on this very subject. It's not just one or two obscure quotes. It's there. And I challenge you to study it if you don't believe what I'm telling you right now. And so some may still say, what's the big deal? What is the big deal? This is the big deal. What the big deal is what I think, what society thinks, what cultural thinks versus what God thinks. That's the bottom line. Are we going to follow what we think is okay what society tells us is important or okay, or are we going to go against all of those inclinations and follow a clear, thus saith the Lord? 
That's the bottom line. But you know, at the same time, some of us are sitting here, we may be sitting back figuratively in our minds, crossing our arms saying, ha, that doesn't apply to me. I know people who haven't read a book cover to cover in years. And you say, I don't even have time to read. Oh, I'm too busy. I just study. I read my textbooks. And that's not fiction, is it? Well, it depends what classes you're taking. You're taking literature class. Well, I'm not so sure. But say I'm in medical school. Oh, I just have time for A&P and whatever else. I don't have time to read. So huh, stop wasting your breath. It doesn't apply to me. It does apply to us. And this is the reason why. What books were? Hardcover books, hardcover magazines, newspapers, stories that you tell her, you, you read or tell about. What they were in Mrs. White's day is replaced in our day with the silver screen. Movies and TV shows and even some classes of video games are the fiction literature, fictional literature of our day. Just think about it. Just think about this. What are movies? Movies are fiction, fictional literature enacted. And just to think that Satan is trying to get into our minds, the more gates we, he manages to open to himself, the better off he is. And before, we would have to just read the words on the page to get that fiction into our minds. But now we just sit back. We shut our brains off. We open our eyes, open our ears. We put on the 3D glasses even nowadays. And Satan pipes his information straight into our brain. What is fiction? What are movies? It's just fiction in living color. That's all it is. And you know, when Jesus was trying to reveal the character of truth, when God had to reveal his character, what was the clearest way that he could do it? The Bible tells us in John verse 1, the, the word was made what? Flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So what do you suppose is the most effective way for Satan to transmit his character into our lives? He takes fiction, lies, and he makes it flesh. Isn't that what movies are? Human beings enacting sin in front of our very eyes. And what do we do? We sit back and we laugh when God's name is taken in vain. We don't even blink when adultery is committed grotesquely in front of our eyes. We see lies. We see, we see idolatry. We see covetousness. We see murder of every degree. And we sit back and we cross our arms and we say, that's entertainment. And we pay $10 to lock ourselves in a dark room to pipe Satan's character into our minds. I mean, what's happened to us? Am I, am, am I being too strong or am I just speaking the truth? You know, some say, oh, 
It's just amusement. Well, think with me for a moment. What does the word amuse mean? <laughs> What does the word muse mean? What does it mean to muse? To think. What does it, what does it mean to say a uh, muse? To what? Not think. Movies are for our amusement. Yeah. And that's exactly why it's bad. Because as a Christian, we need every faculty to be firing on all six cylinders. There's no time in the Christian experience when we can let our guard down. And you know, some people I've heard, young people, I teach high school, and young people say, oh, I watch movies and it has no impact on me. Look at me. And I say, yeah, look at you. That's exactly what I think you should say because that's what movies do to us. I used to watch so many movies. It numbs the mind. It numbs the mind where one gory scene a week later becomes benign, becomes innocent, and we need the bigger explosion. The more explicit language and sexual images and as we continue down this path, we still fool ourselves saying, oh, it has no impact on me. Mm, yeah, no, mm, no. Just think. If we go out there and we buy a movie ticket and we go and watch whatever this latest movie, Transformers or whatever, and we walk out of that movie theater and we sit down and we open the Bible, are we going to find God's word interesting? Are we going to get down on our knees and are we going to be able to concentrate in prayer to the God of heaven? Are we going to walk out of Transformers and we're going to say, oh, let's go knock on doors and do Bible studies? You better believe that's not going to happen. Ministry or <laughs> messages to young people, it sells, it says. The readers of fiction are indulging in evil that destroys spirituality. Can we fill that in with those who watch movies? And have you ever, you know, when I was young, we say, oh, how come we can't go to movies? You know, what, what's wrong with going to movies? Well, there's bad people there. You ever heard that? It's a bad environment. Well, you know, maybe at one point where you went to the live theater there were you know the lewd gestures or whatever that she talks about and the bad people tend to congregate there the drunkards whatever but nowadays people say oh movies no i mean it's safe you're just sitting in a room there's nothing wrong with that right well you know something there is nothing wrong with the theater in fact i have many friends who have conducted plenty of evangelistic meetings in theaters Lots of souls have been won in theaters. It's not because it's a bad environment or not even necessarily that there are bad people there. But why should we not go to movies? It's the same reason why we should not bring movies home to our VCRs, to our DVD players, onto our computers, onto iTunes, our iPods, our iPhones, whatever. Because movies communicate the character of Satan into our lives. And as Christians, that is unacceptable. That's it. And God has not spoken in uncertain terms. God has not spoken 
in half-baked languages. And I might just mention this one last aspect because this speaks personally to me. And that are video games. I don't know how many young people out there in this congregation are addicted to video games. But I was at one point. I had the PlayStation. I had the mod chip, illegal chip that lets you play pirated games. I had thousands of dollars worth of games. I spent hours immersing myself in the fictional world of the characters I was controlling with my buttons and joysticks. And and as I see video games today, the lines are blurring between real life and video games. Video games where you can go out and murder people and, and hijack cars and blow things up. I mean, it's not even watching it anymore. You get to control it when it happens. You do the demolition. You do the murders. You do the whatever else. As Christians, I think we need to stop just succumbing to the pressures of what the world around us lays in front of us. And it's time for us to go back to what God says. Whatsoever things are true, And it's time that we begin to be more careful in guarding the avenues of our soul. And I've I've spoken long. It's time to close. But I think after hearing these things, it's appropriate for us to spend a thoughtful moment in response to God. So just two appeals this morning. How many of us today want to say, first of all, Lord, I need help to guard the avenues of our soul. And I'll be the first to say I need help. It is not possible of myself to just grit my teeth, pull myself up on my bootstraps, and just try harder. Yes, effort is involved, but that's not enough. Because we have defections. We have a fallen nature that prevents us from being able to live holy lives. How many of us here today, just by raising your hand, want to say, Lord Jesus, I need your help. Help me. That's my prayer as well. But the next appeal, I think, has to be specific. I've been through this, so I know how difficult it can be. Some of us have been filling our minds with fiction. Be it in the printed form, And printed form doesn't just involve a book anymore. Printed form on the internet is still printed literature. Some of us have been filling our minds with movies, with video games, with TV shows. And today we have realized that inspiration has spoken clearly condemning such things. The principles of God's word says that it is not possible to harmonize these things with the Christian life, especially in this hour of earth's history. It can't be done. And so, how many of us today, which ones of us today want to say, Jesus, Lord, I give those things to you. If I have movies, they're out. Be it on my computer, my iPod, my iPhone, my Wii phone, whatever it is, I'm deleting it. If I have DVDs, destroying them. 
books in my collection that are not appropriate, they're gone. Movie tickets, no more. I can't, I can't put it any other way because that's how strongly inspiration puts it. And that's the appeal this morning. How many of us here today have those areas in our lives that right now we are saying, Lord Jesus, take them. I give them all to you. If that is your desire, if that is your commitment, I invite you to stand right where you are. And I know this may not apply to everyone. Some of us understand these principles and there are things in our lives we've already surrendered these things. I understand that. But this appeal is specifically to give up those areas related to fiction, books and magazines and internet websites and movies and TV shows and video games and all of those kinds of things. In standing, we are saying, Jesus, I give them to you. God bless all of you who who stood. Jesus will give you strength. And he can replace the void that those things have taken in your lives with that which is true and pure and honest and of good report. Let's pray. Father, this morning, some of us have heard some shocking things for the first time. Some of us have been reminded of the vigilance that is required of having the mind of Christ and of being your disciple. And Lord, help us to recognize that this road that we have embarked upon is not one that is always easy or smooth, but it involves sacrifices and surrender of our wills and of our desires to you. And Lord, you have seen the hands that were raised earlier, all of us asking for help to guard these avenues of our soul, for we cannot do it alone. We commit our our souls, man's soul to you, Emmanuel and Shaddai. But Lord, some of us have stood this morning because in our lives, there are aspects that are revealing the character of Satan rather than the character of Christ. Fictional literature or movies or shows or whatever they are, Lord, we are standing because we are saying, We want to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And we want his character reflected through us. And so there's no more games anymore in our lives. We're not going to play this game of let's straddle this fence. Let's try to get as close as we can to the the edge of the cliff. We're giving it all to you. And may we live faithfully according to the principles of Philippians 4.8. And Lord, whatever those things are, if we can't even think of them right now, bring it to our minds and that we may be able to cast them from us and that we may live a new life in Christ with the mind of Christ. As we continue this weekend, as we study your word together, we pray that you would bless us and that we may leave this place changed into your image. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.